A listener's note. The following episode contains coarse language, adult themes, and content of a violent and disturbing nature, and may not be suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. For the past three seasons of Crime Beat, I've worked to give you a behind-the-scenes look at the cases I've covered over 25 years of crime reporting. We've shared 50 episodes since we first launched in 2019. And since then, we've shed light on important issues like intergenerational trauma of Indigenous people caused by residential schools and the 60s scoop, or the obstacles faced by refugees, and what it's like to overcome the ongoing impact of abuse at a young age. We work hard to make sure we give you the full picture in each episode by looking at all the possible angles. And we're careful in how we share these stories. They're sensitive. Because behind each of our stories are people. I want to thank the victims and their loved ones who've allowed me to share their stories. I'm Nancy Hickst, a crime reporter for Global News. Today, on Crime Beat, I'm doing something a little different as a special way to end season three. I want to share some insight on journalism and crime reporting and introduce you to the amazing people I work with to bring you this podcast, which includes Chris Bassett, Dila Velasquez, and Rob Johnston. My name is Chris Bassett. I'm the Acting Vice President of National and Network News for Global News. My job is to oversee the national news programs across the country for Global News. Prior to that, I was the National Director of Content and Editorial Standards. I oversaw content on all platforms for Global News, including having legal and editorial oversight for that content. Before that, I was the News Director and Station Manager at Global Calgary. Thanks so much for joining me, Chris. Thanks for having me, Nancy. One of the reasons why I wanted to have this conversation with you, because we've worked together for many, many years now, and this allows us an opportunity to really peel back the curtain and take a look at how we cover stories, not only crime stories, but stories in general. Yeah, crime stories are the most complicated types of stories that we cover. They really involve a a real knowledge of uh, the legal system, uh, journalistic principles and practices, a real understanding of what it's like to uh, to be a victim of crime uh, and be in the situation uh, of having uh, news reporting happening around that as uh, you know as families go through uh, some very difficult uh, horrific circumstances. And so we have to be really sensitive when when covering crime stories and you know often there's a, a perception in in watching something on uh, on TV, for example, that, you know, you know, maybe it, it, it's easy and, and it's really not. Um, you know, we have pages and pages of, uh, of policies and guidelines uh, connected directly to crime stories. And what we don't want to be doing is, you know, influencing uh, a story uh, in, a, in a negative way. So creating problems for victims of, uh, of a crime or problems for investigators who are trying to catch a perpetrator uh, and get a successful conviction. So it's our job to report, but sometimes that reporting really gets us ahead of the story. And so sometimes we are learning information before police learn it uh, and before uh, a victim's family learns it. And so it, it's really important to have 
that uh, that sober second thought about what we're reporting, why we're reporting it, and when we're reporting it. We run each episode by you, which means that you have to spend hours and hours reading through all of our scripts. And often that means reading late at night or early in the morning, because we know that you have a lot on your plate with your current rule. We'd like to know what that's like. Yeah, well, I think the thing for me is that I have the space uh, mentally to be able to take on uh, these projects when they come up. Uh, they are there's a lot of content. Obviously, uh, yourself and the team work extremely hard, uh, digging deep um, and gathering lots of information, and then compiling it uh, into you know uh, a story that will make sense and resonate with listeners. For me, I want to make sure that I'm putting my time into it uh, and not you know, distractedly working on other tasks. So it's important for me to set aside a, a chunk of time where I can really dedicate to reading it over, imagining it, uh, you know, hearing it as I read it uh, and making sure I'm making the space, uh, not, not only in my, in my day, but also emotionally to handle the content because I know uh, sometimes it can be disturbing. Sometimes it can be inspiring. Uh, sometimes it can be, you know, extremely sad and emotional, depending on the topic. So I want to make sure that I'm in 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 the right headspace to be able to to tackle assignments uh, uh, such as this one. I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand what the process would be like, what you're looking for, and and just making sure that we're putting out the best product. Because obviously, we have a workflow. You know, I'm out there reporting, I'm gathering the content, I put it together, and you know, then I go through it with my producer Dila, um, and then we send it to you. So we do have a very specific process that we go to. But what are some of the things that you're looking for? In in journalism, it's really about examining the work from all angles. It's it's really taking a piece of content, uh, a story, uh, whether it's a podcast or a news story, um, and, and really trying to understand how we know all the things that we know that are contained in it. So you're kind of trying to read through it. Um, and I'm doing Crime Beat. I read through it as a listener. Uh, for the flow, the feel, um, it does it feel balanced? And, you know, I, I want to know, how do we know what we know? So when we're stating something as fact, is it a fact? How do we know it's a fact? Is it, is it not opinion? Or is it something that somebody has, uh, has said? Um, but when we state it as fact, it carries a heavier weight. So I want to take that particular fact and make sure that it is a fact that it's borne out by strong editorial journalism or something that was introduced in court, uh, as opposed to something that somebody is implying is true, but we haven't necessarily proved that it's true. So that's the process. It takes uh, takes me about about an hour or so, I think, usually to go through uh, one of the podcasts. Um, I'm usually looking for things that could uh, be legally sensitive. Um, I'm not a lawyer, so if I do run into one of those uh, moments in in the in the pod, I'll ask for uh, a legal opinion um, and working through uh, through our legal counsel that uh, we work with at Global News. We'll examine that and make sure that uh, that it is supported legally. And then you know usually get it, get to the end and sort of you know uh, arrive uh, as the listeners do and feel like if it was a really satisfying uh, piece of work that I have learned something 
um, uh, about a case that you're covering, um, you know, uh, and and maybe we've uncovered some some new information for an old case that I might have been familiar with uh, back in my days in Calgary. Well, and this is probably a good time to talk about the journalistic principles and practices that we follow, because this is a time where misinformation and non-credible news sources, um, that information spreads rapidly. So I know that I'm proud to work for a trusted media news company because we do have those policies in place and it holds us to a higher standard. Um, so talk about that and, and just how you help us to maintain those standards. Now, the standards are really critical and you know we we as a a regulated industry in, in Canada uh, global news uh, is regulated by the the CRTC um and bound by uh, you know a, a number of policies that uh, that ensure that we are committed to fair and balanced reporting in the public interest and so there is uh, there is recourse and accountability for us uh, as a as a media outlet um if you uh, are concerned about the work that we're doing, there is there are mechanisms for you to complain. Those complaints uh, need to be followed up on uh, and are. Um, and there's a requirement for transparency when we make mistakes. So you know there's there's a lot at stake for us. Uh, beyond that, our reputation is the most important thing uh, for us. Uh, Global News. Uh, and uh, mainstream media outlets don't want to be wrong. We want to be right. Uh, we want to be fair and we want to be balanced. And that's why we're trusted. Uh, and many of us have built those reputations personally and professionally uh, over a great many years in our careers. And the last thing that we want is a, a careless mistake to bring all of that down and, uh, and question our balance and objectivity. So it is really important that uh, that everybody coming in uh, to journalism is aware uh, of those requirements uh, and that, you know, when we're telling stories, we need to tell them in a way that is uh, right, not first. So we're not rushing out to get a story to, to try to beat the competition. Uh, we're getting a story out when it's ready, when we're satisfied with it, uh, and it will survive any test for uh, facts or uh, opinion that we're not making an opinion. Uh, we're telling the facts of the story. So yeah, it, it's critical, especially in this uh, age where a lot of people are questioning media and they really need to know where they can go for trusted, accountable media. So since we launched the Crime Beat podcast, as well as the TV documentary series, I get a lot of messages, people expressing interest in crime reporting. And it's a hard one to give advice on because there's quite a bit of work. It's not a matter of, you know, just one day deciding you're going to be a crime reporter, it takes <laughs> quite a few years and, you know, a lot of education and experience, all of these different things work together to be able to uh, make a successful crime reporter. And one thing that I think it's important to note is that crime reporting is not a nine to five job. What's key is that, you know, when, whatever is happening, whenever it's happening, that you know the the rush to a deadline or the fact that you've been woken up in the middle of the night, um, you know, doesn't prevent us from still doing our job uh, to the best of our abilities and making sure that uh, you know, d d despite a lack of sleep or you know, despite a, uh, an impending deadline, that we're taking the time to tell the story right. And crime reporting, in particular, uh, can be really complex. So we need to make very careful uh, choices 
and you know follow follow them through accordingly. So being a, a reporter in that situation, you really have to have a good understanding of the types of decisions you need to make in the moment. One of the things that, that is also unique to, to reporting and crime reporting uh, most particularly is that you know, the, the journalists involved really build up uh, sources and they're very uh, connected individually to those particular stories. So that's one of the reasons that happens. Uh, politic reporting is very similar in that in that same way. So, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, a, a story is breaking, um, you know, the the person that is involved might have a, uh, you know, a close source relationship uh, and they're able to confirm details of a story directly through that personal uh, uh, contact, which then means that uh, that story chases them wherever they go. So, you know, that's that's one of the reasons why that happens. And, you know, it's uh, it's the mark of a good uh, a good crime reporter because they're able to build those uh, connections inside of a, uh, a police department, for example. Um, but the downside of that is uh, the better they are at doing that, uh, the more those stories will will chase them wherever they go. One thing that it's important to note is that, uh, you know, global news, crime reporters, you know, anyone who's a really good journalist, you're not going to just be reactive. You're not just going to try to cover the stories, you know, that come out in a press release. But the goal is always to dig up enterprising stories and be, you know, the one breaking the stories. Yeah, you use the word enterprise. That really uh, that really is the word that sort of represents that uh, that spirit. Um, you know. Uh, new, new news organizations really should be reflecting um, the concerns uh, of the general public, and those concerns aren't always don't always find themselves uh, through official channels. And that's a lot uh, of, of the reason why people turn to media outlets is that a story isn't getting told, or you know something isn't getting looked at, or it isn't getting investigated. Um, you know, and, and Nancy, you've been involved, uh, as many of our reporters have, with stories that uh, were not on the radar at all of officials until um, a news operation picked it up and told that story. Uh, and, and it's really, you know, it's the vital uh, role we play in a, in a democracy is being able to independently uh, take stories from the public uh, and turn them into news that the rest, uh, rest of our society can benefit from. So I posted on my Facebook crime page asking listeners to give me some of their questions about crime reporting and journalism. And I thought maybe, Chris, you could help me tackle some of these questions. One of the biggest overwhelming themes that comes up is the emotional impact and work-life balance of crime reporting and journalism uh, as a whole. And so a lot of listeners want to know how I manage, you know, to have a balance between what I'm doing and home. So, you know, as a manager, how do you handle that and make sure your staff uh, are taking care of themselves? Yeah, it's a really great question and, a, and one that's, you know, increasingly important um, as, as people become more aware of the, the, the real importance and the real impacts of, uh, of mental health. and you know, I think in the past it's been, you know, kind of necessary, but almost an expectation that that people that come into this business really compartmentalize, uh, you know, their experiences or you know what they may be experiencing at home versus their jobs. And 
over time, I think we've really realized that it does take a toll and, and journalists are human beings uh, and they are exposed uh, to some of the worst uh, stories um, that you can experience and, you know, either through, you know, direct impacts being at the, the scenes, uh, difficult scenes of crimes or accidents, being touched uh, by a news story that, uh, you know, resonates with you because of a personal experience. And, you know, I think there, there has been a, a belief that, you know, journalists just turn that off because they're fair and they're balanced. Um, you know, and they just approach everything very, uh, you know, very empirically, not emotionally. But I think we have all learned that uh, that we are people, and people have emotional reactions, and and they get upset, and they're they're impacted by stories that they're covering, uh, as you know, as are the audiences who who hear about them. And you know, there are some cases that you know really take a heavy toll on. Uh, on whole newsrooms, uh, the people that are putting the newscast together in the newsroom, the people that are out in the field covering the story, uh, you know, the managers who are who are managing it, um, you know, and every once in a while in the in the quiet moments in between uh, a newscast, you take a moment and and the weight really hits you. Um, and so, you know, it, it's important you have strategies for yourself, but it's also important that uh, that newsrooms and managers and news leaders uh, are really aware of that. Um, sometimes people will push themselves too hard on a story, um, and they're 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 not quite as uh, distant to be able to see that that's happening. So, you know, you really need to sort of have a, a buddy system. You know, somebody that's keeping an eye out for you, making sure that you're doing okay, checking in with you, um, you know, giving you a bit of a break. And as a, you know, as a crime reporter, you know, you try to always present a professional appearance and, you know, it's hard to talk about the emotional impact. And it's something I probably avoid all of the time talking about the emotional impact on me. And a lot of times, you know, I'll talk to my family or, you know, I'll talk to one of my managers. I'll talk to you, my husband. My husband is a global news photographer as well, so he gets what I do. But I have a tendency, like you said, to sometimes compartmentalize. And then once I'm putting together a podcast, which is a very in-depth look at a case, sometimes it's then that a lot of it really hits you and you start to think like you, you can't really avoid all of the details, maybe in, in just uh, putting together the podcast, maybe that means I'm going back over court exhibits and maybe I see photos that I might have avoided seeing earlier. And it's then that you're really hit by the true impact um, because usually you, you try to push your, your energies on the victims sharing their stories. So you don't want to focus on the impact that it can have on you. And, but it can be draining. So I know sometimes when I'm sending my work for a vet, whether it's to my producer, Dila, or to you, sometimes I am. I'm at kind of an emotionally drained level. Um, but then I'm also sending my scripts to people who are also very busy doing their jobs. And then I'm expecting you to take on this very emotionally heavy material. So I'm curious how you take care of you dealing with this content and and you know, make sure that your personal energies and mental energies are, are there so that, you know, you can make sure that you're, you're doing what you need to do as well. 
Yeah, I mean, it, you know, there's uh, it's kind of making sure that you have your own personal strategies, uh, you know, and and that you feel like this isn't something that you're doing alone. And so I think it comes back to that team approach, you know, you know, out- outraging things that uh, you know that are that are happening in a in a case or a story. They're outrageous, and you know, it's okay to feel that uh, that outrage, you know, and it's okay to have feelings, right? As a person, you you're you're not a robot, uh, you know, but you know, you just have to always make sure that those feelings don't override, you know, any bias or objectivity, and that you're, you know, if something is too emotional, that you're able to step away and come back to something, you know, um, you know, you've got your uh, your new kittens, uh, you know, and and frankly, one of my stress relievers is uh, seeing uh, photos and videos of your kittens, actually, it works for both of us, you know, but I, I do all the time. I'm yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, and I do other things that, uh, you know, uh, you know, walking and, you know, I, I read mystery novels and those sorts of things. It's just important to give your brain a bit of a break. And, you know, and come back to something, you know, and, and make sure that you're taking care of yourself. There's, you know, everybody has heard the expression, you know, use the oxygen mask on yourself, um, because if you're not helping yourself, you can't help other people. That's really true uh, for journalists, uh, you know, really true for crime reporters um, to make sure that they're taking care of themselves first. And then they're going to be able to take care of the story and, and deal with, uh, you know, all the complexities that come with it. That's interesting. One of the questions is if we read, you know, fiction novels or it's just true crime or, you know, watch shows. And I can say from a very young age, I've always been interested in true crime. Like I can remember being a little kid watching Unsolved Mysteries and, you know, all of those kind of shows. Um, And as I'm getting further and further in my career, I still watch them and I still watch true crime shows. Um, I read true crime books and documentaries. I take in all of that um, podcasts. However, I like to have some really mindless type stuff, like like a Seinfeld type show. And I don't know about you, but um, sometimes it's nice just to take your mind completely away. Yeah, I do. I do think there's value sometimes in uh, just turning the light off for a minute. You know, it's important to just kind of give yourself a break, um, give yourself the space and permission to give yourself a break. Uh, know that you'll be supported in doing that. Um, you know, in, in, in some cases, uh, you know, when when something has been really traumatic and affects a lot of people, um, you know, we, you know, we'll, we'll look at bringing in a, a crisis counselor, somebody to speak to people, um, you know, for a particularly horrific or disturbing event. And, you know, there's professional supports uh, as well as personal and, and, and really it's just about everybody uh, looking after each other, um, you know, within, within a, an individual news uh, operation, but, uh, you know, but really more widely too. Uh, and you would know, Nancy, there's lots of uh, examples of people uh, from, you know, rival uh, news stations uh, working together uh, to support each other out uh, in the field on a real difficult story. Yeah, I find that journalists really, for the most part, it's a family. You know, I know we compete, but, you know, a lot of people are very supportive of each other. And I think it's great when people can support each other. And not just hope that they, you know, beat somebody on a story or get ahead of somebody on a story. Like we're people and, you know, it's nice that we have that community. This next question, do you ever recall a time during your career when you felt your life was in danger? So 
I know as a reporter, there's been multiple occasions where I've contacted you in the middle of a story and I've said, this is a sketchy situation. You know, there, there's sort of a, a, a bit of a, a saying that, uh, you know, when, uh, when other people are, you know, running away from danger, it's journalists that are running towards it, um, you know, and, and, you know, that is true, you know, along with, uh, you know, first responders, journalists job is to go to uh, difficult and sometimes dangerous uh, places. And, and sometimes in the pursuit of their stories, journalists find themselves in dangerous uh, situations. Um, you know, the number one priority for us is the safety of our of our staff, uh, both inside and outside of our, our newsrooms. And, you know, there's no story that's uh, important enough um, to put the, the safety of a journalist at risk. I think that that's one of the things I really want to get across in this episode is that we really do go to the nth degree to try to get both sides um, and be able to present the facts and, you know, give all of the information that we can. One of the questions that is asked multiple times on my social media post is, you know, how you dig up a story, how you, you know, decide what story to air um, and, you know, the deciding factors, how you get a witness or detective or family member to talk. I think that really comes back to the principles of being a journalist and working for a credible news organization because we are going to the source of the information. You know, I am talking to the investigators. I'm going through the court documents. The, the series that I just presented on Crime Beat called Scarred But Not Broken, um, I met the players involved in that case like more than two decades ago, like in 1999, I believe I met them. And I've stayed in touch all of these years. Um, so I think there's something to be said for maintaining those relationships and knowing that just because you cover a story one day, that story doesn't finish. Like there's follow through and there's follow ups to do. Um, and maybe you can give your perspective on that. I think I would say, you know, great reporters play the long game. And when you do that, you'll find that, you know, many times, uh, probably the majority of times, uh, someone who hasn't spoken ever publicly about their story at some point will be ready. Uh, you know, and reporters that have maintained a relationship, uh, you know, haven't pressured that person, haven't ambushed them, uh, you know, sort of with, uh, you know, a, a live camera or microphone, um, but have been patient, uh, you know, maintained contact, um, you know, been empathetic, uh, you know, and, you know, over time, that person is ready to speak. And, and when they do, they'll speak to the reporter that, uh, that they built that relationship with over time. And actually, following on that point, Nancy, I know one of the questions that had come up was uh, about how you go about investigating crimes uh, as you do the podcasts uh, and prepare them for broadcast. So I guess I would ask you, you know, when when you have one of those stories, uh, like like the one that you just did, uh, where you're revisiting something from you know many many years earlier, how do you go about it? How do you how do you go about putting it together? I know by the time I get the finished product. Uh, you know, you've done a ton of work behind the scenes by the time I see it. Um, so what's your process? Yeah, and sometimes I'm working on multiple cases at a time. I know, uh, you know, I'll be doing an interview. I did one yesterday that won't air till well into the fall because I need to kind of pick away at certain cases. So when it comes time to actually put it together, 
you know, let's use the scarred but not broken series as a good example. I started gathering those interviews several years ago. Um, but like you just have in your head certain things that need to come together to be able to get that full picture. And sometimes it's the matter of applying for court documents so that I can, you know, put the script up against the court documents and triple fact check everything. And sometimes it's that that's missing that will hold a podcast up for a little while. People will say, well, why haven't you covered this one? Or why haven't you covered that one? Well, part of it is this process that it can sometimes take a long time to access documents. Maybe I have to make a freedom of information request. But one of the biggest requirements I feel is that having the victims and their family members participate really allows people to get that emotional aspect. And I want you to feel that. I want you to feel what those families went through. And, you know, it makes it more difficult to do, for sure. It's difficult for everybody. These aren't easy interviews to do. It's emotional for these people that are participating. But um, often it's therapeutic to be able to have their voices heard. Um, and, you know, in this last one, I spent a couple of years, I waited specifically on this one. One of the sticking points for Scarred But Not Broken was I wanted to make sure I reached out to the original families that were involved in the homicide that this whole case started on. And I wasn't able to, it was really hard to try to find them. And in the end it did, it took me a couple of years. Um, and in the end they weren't interested in participating which I completely respect their privacy. And I kind of went to the nth degree to, you know keep some names out of it so that their privacy is protected. But I wanted to make sure that I could say to you, okay, this is what I did. Um, because a lot of times I know the questions that you're gonna ask, like we know each other quite well and I've been doing this for a long time. So I'll know some of the questions you're gonna ask. So. I'll kind of put things on the back burner and be quietly working on one story while I'm writing a totally different episode because I'm trying to answer some of those questions and get some of those elements lined up so that when I finally put my energy into putting the podcast together, um, that I have all of that information. But I'm curious, Chris, what do you find to be the most rewarding part of being a part of Crime Beat? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, the material uh is excellent you put a lot of work into it the way that uh, the the pod is produced uh really resonates with people it's clear the audience is responding to it in a in a positive way uh you know we have a lot of interaction a lot of questions like the ones that we've been answering some of today and so you know for me it, you know in some cases it's seeing how you have managed to move a story forward uh tell it in a new way something that uh you know maybe has been out of the public eye for a long time but you know with the passage of many years you've been able to find a new angle to it um you know uh, you know and tell something that people hadn't heard before in a story even even some that uh, the people are really familiar with and so you know, for me, it's, you know, kind of opening up uh, the 30-page the document and, and seeing what's inside, you know, and, and you know, being able to discover it uh, like your listeners do uh, as I read it and bet it. I, you know, I, I really like that process, um, you know, and, and, you know, sort of feeling the, the passion that you put into finding the, the people to, to speak about, you know, sometimes very difficult and sensitive material. Um, you know, and that you're there to support them through it as they tell their story. 
um, you know, and then seeing what the team is able to do to, you know, produce, uh, you know, a, a really compelling and interesting product uh, that everybody is uh, really engaging with. So, yeah, I think that that sums it up for me and, uh, you know, and I think, uh, you know, for probably many of your listeners as well. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. I know I've been asking, I've been wanting to do this for a very long time. It's tough to coordinate your schedule. You're a very in-demand news person. So (laughs) I am so grateful that you took the time to do this. And I'm always grateful that you take the time to read through dozens of pages of scripts. I know you can expect certain, you know, like clockwork. Every couple of weeks, I send you a text and I say, you know, I've just emailed you a little light reading and it's a lot. So we appreciate all that you do. Well, it is uh, very much my pleasure, Nancy. It was uh, great to talk to you today. A Death in Cryptoland from CBC Podcasts is about a crypto tycoon, his secret past, a death shrouded in mystery, and an online sleuth's obsession to unravel the truth behind Quadriga CX, Canada's largest cryptocurrency exchange. When the young CEO, Gerald Cotton, is reported to have died, it sets off a cataclysmic chain of events leaving thousands out of a quarter of a billion dollars and a trail of conspiracy theories around whether Cotton is dead or alive. Listen to A Death in Crypto Land everywhere you get your podcasts. I also want to introduce you to two other very important people, including the producer I work very closely with on each episode. She's taught me everything I know about developing a podcast episode. I'm Dila Velasquez. I am in charge of content management and audience development for Curious Cast Podcast Network. I, in particular, see oversee all of the uh, original content, so shows like Crime Beat, 13 Hours, China Rising, History of the 90s, What Happened to those types of shows for the network. Um, before I started in podcasting, I actually, and at Chorus, I was at E1. So I worked, I've worked in podcasts now for almost like a, six years. And before that, I was uh, working in factual entertainment. So I worked for many years on a food show that's very popular that traveled across the country and um, on Wipeout Canada. So that's kind of... Uh, a short little resume of what I've done to get to where you are, Nancy, working with you. So what you might not realize is Dila and I don't work in the same city. I'm in Calgary, she's in Toronto, and we've only met in person once. But we talk daily as we collaborate on the show. I get a lot of messages from listeners who want to know about our team So we want to walk you through how an episode comes together. So this is how it goes. Dila and I brainstorm on the story, and then I begin writing. Once I have a script, Dila goes in and works her magic. Dila, explain explain your magical process. I was going to say, I'm like, for me, it really starts when you finish that script and it lands in my inbox. And uh, and then basically my, my... my goal really is to try and make it as impactful for the audience as it can be. Meaning, you know, we'll take, and, and it's gotten better, obviously, as we've basically are in each other's minds. Um, like I can hear Nancy's voice when I, when I read the script as if I'm the audience for the first time. So I really try to put myself 
in the shoes of those listening right now and uh, imagine how it's going to sound like as I'm reading it for the first time. And, you know, like I was just thinking that we have been working together not even quite two years. Like it's crazy because I feel like I've known you forever. But I think if you, if I think back to that first episode and how foreign, you know, writing a podcast was to me and how steep that learning curve was because I was writing two minute television news stories and how we kind of learned to work together and collaborate together, how that started and to where we are now. Like I, like you said, you kind of tried to feel how my voice is. I feel when I'm writing, I try to have you kind of in my head saying, oh, you should do this or you should try this wording. And I'll have Chris Bassett in my head too. I'll have Rob in my head thinking, you know, just all of these different things because we collaborate so closely. I think we're always trying to be kind of one step ahead and try to think, what would this person want me to be doing? So I think that really shows in the the end product. And I think we've come a long way. And if you listen, I think each episode we're really progressing. Particularly, I think suspense has been the biggest lesson that we've learned um, as we've been working on this for so long um, is to really try and hold as much as we can the suspense so that we don't give away the story too easily or too quickly, which maybe we did in the past. Well, and, you know, at the center of our stories, you know, the victims always come first, the victim stories, the victims' families, that impact that's always at the center. But what we've and this was something I really had to learn because I was used to getting a story out in two minutes, right? Like I keep coming back to that when you've done that for like 20 years and you've shared a story so quickly and just get get out the key points. It's it's a difficult move to learn how to slowly reveal. And I know you always say like, let's peel this back slowly. Let's do a slow reveal. But the listener experience is so much better. And I think it really also brings out how those families feel as they're going through it if we're writing it that way. Our responsibility on the show, because it is the victims are at the heart of each story, has been to really shelter the story itself. Make sure that this story is going to be um, taken care of in our hands. So what that means to me, at least, is making sure that the emotional core or center of each of the victims and each of these uh, of these cases remains intact so like that's always to me the the most important thing and it's kind of like a mandate mandate for the show is to make sure that we respect that and then everything else that we like if that's the core then we from there we start building outwardly so that it is more you know impactful if that makes sense. Yeah, and I I think that that's what sets Crime Beat apart from a lot of other podcasts is that we are sharing those stories, the interviews with those families, but we're we're sharing it in a uh, you know in a compassionate way, but we're also trying to share it in a suspenseful way, um, so that the listener in a balanced way, yes, in exactly. a balanced way, and factual, yeah. all of these things, correct. Yeah. Yeah. But those are all like, those are, I I take all of those sort of things in filters. If you went into account as I'm reading it for the first time, because I know that if we, the, if we hit all of those markers, then I know that the story is deserving to be told 
on the show. Like that's, that's it. Like that's our mandate. Man, our mandate is to making sure that we take care of e- each of these stories in a way that's respectful, balanced, and factual. And you know what I find interesting is sometimes when I'm explaining a story to you for the first time and we're talking about how we're going to put it together, you know, I get really emotional and really wrapped up in how I'm, I get out of breath and I'm telling you this story and I'm trying to spill all these details all at once because I've, you know, it's these stories have impacted me. And then I'm like, okay, but how do we share that? And then you're like, well, do it like that, like share it, you know what I mean? And sometimes it just takes that back and forth to kind of push me to be like, oh yeah, this is how we can do it. And it's always like, to me particularly, I I like to find a slightly different angle that maybe we haven't tried before into the stories too. Yeah, exactly. So, I I mean, I think we kind of really collaborate and bounce back and forth Mm -hmm. Um, and and people will hear, hear my voice. And so I think that that's why this episode is so important to me is I really want to get across to the listeners. You know, I'm the crime reporter, sure. And I've met all of these families and I their stories have all uh, left an impact on my own life. And I want to share them in the best way, but I couldn't do it without this collaborative effort with our team. So uh, that's why I, you know, I love working with my team and I wanted everybody else to get to meet you guys. I mean, and I think that's really what is powerful about Crime Beat is that, and rewarding too, is that you share these stories with us, your team, as well as the audience. So we are just as impacted in different ways. Like you get to see and meet these families and these victims. We get to hear them for the first time through your storytelling. So we also get to be impacted these stories like I there are some of them that I just kind of carry with me you know I think about um the uh the boy who fell through the cracks and uh definitely the one that we just did this season with the disgraced uh doctor the neurologist and how powerful it was that we gave that space to the victim impact statements um that I don't think I've heard and you know other true crime podcasts give that amount of time to victims to really give them a voice. It's actually just passing the mic to that so they can share what they felt, what they went through. And, you know, I think that's incredibly powerful. And those stories stay with me. Earlier in the episode, I was taking audience questions and Chris Bassett and I were kind of going back and forth trying to answer some of those questions from my post on social media. And one of the questions that, you know, I I probably received 30 or 40 times in different, (laughs) written in different ways, was just the emotional impact. And obviously, these are really emotional stories and you know obviously they have an impact on me but it also impacts the rest of the team and so I wanted to ask you kind of how you know how you deal with that one of the ways I deal with it um that I that I didn't mention when I was talking to Chris is you know I talk to you (laughs) you know we talk a lot we go back and forth sometimes I just need to get something off my chest, I need to vent it to you, or I'm feeling especially, you know, impacted by a particular interview that I've done. So you're my go-to to to be able to, 
talk to about that um, because you're going to read the episode and, you know, maybe we explain some of that impact in the episode. You know, you have a way of really um, helping me to be able to figure out, okay, how do I, where do I go with this? So, you know, that's one of my strategies, but I wanted to know, you know, the emotional impact on you and how you deal with that. Yeah. I mean, the, the power of storytelling can be therapeutic, right? Like that is, I mean, we know that. So making these stories have a life um, and sharing them immediately creates a community and we can all be kind of supportive of each other because we know the stories. So whether or not we're impacted directly by them, by us being part of the audience, by us then sharing that what we've heard with others, that it almost kind of lessens the load on any one single individual because there it creates support. And so like that's how I deal with it in a way is by knowing that we're sharing this in community with everybody who's listening. And I have to add that Dila and I are both huge animal lovers. So we are constantly sharing photos back and forth. Like if I'm having a really heavy day and she knows I'm doing really stressful work, I'll get a a photo of her dog sent to me (laughs) multiple times and he's adorable. And I, you know, I don't even wait for the opportunity to know if you needed a little, you know, cuteness in your day. I send you cat photos and kitten photos all day, every day. Well, Alibi and Echo are very popular in my household. And Riggins, my dog, is, uh, I mean, if you if you heard an, a little bit of scratching or at any point during one of my answers, most likely it was my dog. So Dila, tell me what you find to be the most rewarding aspect of working together on Crime Beat. Other than talking constantly. Uh, which is one of my favorite things. Uh, Nancy and I are very, very close, even though, again, we've never, we don't live in the same town, but we talk probably, I talk to Nancy more than anyone. Um, but what I find really, really rewarding is I'm a huge fan of document of documentaries. I am hugely inspired by documentaries. And so being able to essentially put one together every other week um, is is magical. It's it's a dream come true for me when it comes to like my career. Um, and getting to carry and shelter these stories through and share them with like a massive community of people who are also supportive and loving of the show and these stories. It's it's really, really rewarding to be amongst people who value the power of story as much as we do. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you joining me. Thank you. And finally today, I want to introduce you to the man who makes you really feel the podcast. I'm Rob Johnston. I'm the lead audio and sound designer for Curious Cast. And one of the shows, of course, I take care of is Crime Beat, but also we do shows like History of the 90s, 13 Hours, um, The Ongoing History of New Music, What Happened to... Uh, China Rising, and uh, and a bunch of other podcasts. So my role is to edit them all together and make them all come to the vision of, of the hosts and the producers and the writers. Really, there is no one that I've ever met that knows more about audio than you. And if I have an audio issue, which is like pretty much every day, I'm constantly asking you for, how do I make this sound better? 
And really it all just ends up on your lap and uh, somehow you make it all sound great. Texts are common between the two of us, I think, about uh, questions about what what can we do for this and what can we do for that? Well, and kind of the point of this uh, episode is to really explain the collaborative effort that we have on Crime Beat. Like there, this is a whole team effort. And so I really want people to understand the role that you play. Um, and for regular listeners of Crime Beat, I'm sure that you'll notice there are specific themes mm-hmm. that are mm-hmm. built in through the music and sound. And that is all Rob. Um, so he helps transition into it. Maybe it's a twist in the story, or maybe there's some suspense that we really want to build on. So Rob, can you explain how you do this? And often you understand what we're trying to get at with, and we don't even have to tell you, it's like you read our mind. <laughs> Well, one of the things that I do is I don't I don't actually read the script before it lands on my lap. I like to go through and do a rough edit and just sort of assemble and listen to the story and kind of get a feel for how it develops, where it's going, sort of the ebb and the flow and the chapter changes and the mood changes and the tempo and textures. And then as I build out the show, I go through an inventory of of music selections that we have through various libraries and and just try to find something that matches where you're going with the voice, with the narration, telling us the story, um, where the, the people you talk to, where they're, how they're feeling, how their emotions are playing into it. So I'll find music that kind of uh, conveys those feelings. It may be, uh, there may be tension. Investigation points. reflection uh, and then you and I we have our own little code words can you put in the um, the sad piano bed Could you put in some of the Norwegian um, forest feel? We just sort of have this language between us that we know we know in each other's brains what it is we're trying to uh, trying to have it sound like. Um, one of the things I've noticed over the time since I started the show is every episode I try to make sound better than the one previous. And if you if I go back and listen to and if the listener goes back and listens to the first season, I think there's been an evolution from the first episode all the way through to now. And there are times I think, geez, I'd really like to go back and kind of redo the first season because the show has evolved as we've gone along. Um, you know, we we bring in music pieces that that the audience will know are, are familiar, but we'll also look to add new transitional pieces into it as we go along just to keep it fresh and keep it, uh, you know, just keep it moving forward so it doesn't all sound the same. That, that's, I think, is the biggest challenge is I want to make sure that it always sounds fresh. It always sounds like it's evolving. You know, one of the things that, that I also do with the music is they, they act as chapter changes in the story. 
they can punctuate something or they can let something just sort of hang there and, and resonate with the audience so they, they can digest the piece that's, that, that has just landed and the impact and the, especially the emotional impact that, that comes from it. I remember, you know, being a huge listener and I still am to a lot of podcasts before I ever wrote a podcast episode. And I remember thinking a really good episode is one where there's so much emotion and so many twists mm. and turns and so mm. much mystery that, you know, I'll be driving, but I'll be yelling at, <laughs> at the speaker and saying, no way. Like, um, and, and I think that that's what it adds. Like your pauses, your, the dramatic sound, it adds so much and it really helps it's like your sound that you add is taking the listeners by the hand and guiding them through. And that can be a challenge in itself because I, in my mind, and I think a lot in the listener's mind, that what I do is secondary to, to everything. Really what makes the show stand out is, is the work you do and the work and, and you know, the, the guests that you have on. And, and especially when the family members are involved, because um, you really get the emotional impact of, of what they're feeling and what they're, what they felt through, through the stories. So I don't want to get in the way of that. I just kind of want to keep moving it along and, and, and keep the audience uh, engaged. Not that they wouldn't be, but uh, you know what I mean? Just, just flushing it out for a full story. Yeah, really just enhances the story, right? Like it really just helps build on. And, you know, we're trying to give these victims and their families a voice. That's our mandate. And that's what, you know, that's what means so much to me to be able to do. And you just help it all kind of um, sing. Like it's hard to explain that, but it really (laughs) does bring together that emotion. I am curious what uh, the most rewarding aspect of working together on Crime Beat is for you. I think it's the stories where you hear from from the families that they say, thank you for letting us tell the story about our son, our daughter, our brother, our husband. Because a lot of the time people only really hear about you know, your three to five minute news stories or the follow-ups that happen. And these things can get easily lost in, in just in life, in everything that's going on. And, you know, with, with the podcast, it gives us a chance to spend 35, 45, an hour, however long, telling the story of, of the people involved in it and, and really bringing, bringing to life who they are. Um, I think that that to me is the most rewarding part is that it's, it, it, in some sense, I guess it brings the story uh, a bit full circle for the audience because they might not have known what happened in the end. One of the things I explained uh, earlier in this episode is that, you know, Dila, she works in Toronto. Um, so do you. <laughs> so it's interesting that you and I have only met once as well. That's right. That's but right. we all really get to know each other really well because we have to work so closely and we, you know, I just have the best team to work together with on Crime Beat. And one thing that stands out to me though, is that this is very emotional subject matter. Mm -hmm. You know, these are Mm -hmm. traumatic stories. We're sharing just, you know, a lot of these are devastating to, I know for the, the families who experience them, Um, And my heart always goes out to those people who've experienced the loss or experienced the trauma. Um, And there, of course, that impacts me in reporting on these cases. It impacts 
all of us as a team in different ways. Um, and so I guess I wonder, because one of the most asked questions is how we all deal with this differently and how we handle uh, working with this kind of content on a regular basis and, you know, working with these families and just making sure that we're doing their stories justice, which is kind of the most important thing to all of us. It is the hardest part, I think. Uh, I'm not going to lie. There are times where I've had to walk away from some of the edits. I'm just like, I can't, I can't get through the rest of it. It's just, it, it's too emotional. Um, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know these stories. I live, you know, thousands of kilometers away. Uh, a few of them I've heard about, but the majority of them I, I've not heard before. Um, but they all affect you on a human nature. And for me, I think the ones that have the most impact are the ones usually about parents and kids. Um, you know, having, having kids of my own, you really kind of get this my God, if that had happened to me, how would I feel sort of reaction? And, and you kind of visualize your own kids in these situations. And it just be, there are times where you just, it's overwhelming and there's nothing wrong with walking away from it and coming back to it later with a bit of a clearer head, to be honest with you. But that's just, it's human nature. Well, and I think it just helps to refocus us all to make sure that we always get at that impact and make sure that we're always focused on giving these victims and their families that clear voice. Because mm -hmm. imagine, I always think about it this way, the impact on me is really so insignificant compared to the impact on these families. And so the least I can do is be the messenger and, and give them that platform and give them, you know, their, their chance to share their stories and to tell someone who their loved one was or, or you know, how they've dealt with trauma or how they're continuing mm -hmm. to deal with it. Because I think at the end of the day, all of these stories inspire me. And I, I'm sure it's the same for you. You know, it's difficult subject matter, but I think we're all very inspired by how much strength these people have. And I think our entire team feels that mm -hmm. um, because we know that they're, these are real people and we want to make sure that we're, we're doing it justice. It's been many times you've sent us messages and then we've sent messages back. Like, are we on the right track? Are we on the right track? Is this working? Is this working? Have we told the story right? Have we, you know, have we missed something? Uh, but that, that's, that shows you that you care. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of collaborating and brainstorming behind the scenes that people don't realize that happens. And, and I think that that's a sign. Like, this is the best team that I've ever worked <laughs> with. We collaborate so well. And it's, I feel like um, I've known you guys for so long. <laughs> I talk to Dila every day. I'm constantly texting you both. Um, and yeah, we, and I shared uh, when I was speaking with Dila, we shared that one of the other things is we send uh, pet photos back mm -hmm. and forth. And mm -hmm. that's one of our de-stressing. And I know you get sent quite a few kitten photos. Exactly. And I send the dog photos back your way as well. <laughs> um, thank you so much. I really thank appreciate you. you talking and to me. And I appreciate all that you do for Kind Beat. Well, I appreciate all the, uh, I appreciate the feedback from the audience, honestly. Uh, to me, that's, that's the most rewarding aspect. And, and I thank them for that. Thank you to Rob, Dila, and Chris for joining me for this special behind-the-scenes look at Crime Beat. And thank you for listening to the important stories I share on Crime Beat. I hope that by the end of each episode, you not only feel like you got to know the victims and their families, 
I also hope you're left feeling empowered after hearing the facts and learning about the ripple effects of crime. We'll be back in the fall with a lot more stories. Until then, Crime Beat is written and produced by me, Nancy Hickst, with producer Dila Velasquez. Audio editing and sound design is by Rob Johnston. Special thanks to photographer-editor Danny Lantella for his work on this episode. And thanks to Chris Bassett, the acting VP of National and Network News for Global News. I would love to have you tell a friend about this podcast, and you can help me share these important stories by rating and reviewing Crime Beat on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. You can find me on Twitter at Nancy Hickst, on Facebook at Nancy Hickst Crime Beat, and I would love to have you join me for added content on Instagram at nancy.hickst. That's N-A-N-C-Y dot H-I-X-T. Thanks again for listening. Please join me next time. In 2047, a colony of scientists, farmers, soldiers, priests, artists, and AI, all looking for a new life, landed on Mars. The mission was simple, to survive and establish a... To survive and establish. We are so far beyond keeping it together. To survive and establish. Then you can come at me, William. To survive. Marsfall. Survival on the Red Planet. Marsfall is a science fiction podcast about the first colonists on Mars. Listen for free wherever you find your favorite podcasts.